All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. We are uh, doing worship shorter at the beginning this morning because we're going to uh, have things look a little bit different today. Um, and so if you're up through kindergarten through third grade and you want to head to Kids Church, you can do that now. You can go to the back door by Mr. Doug. And if you're a parent who wants to walk your kid back there, please feel free to do so. And then go pick them up if you want to walk them back in here uh, after the sermon time. Otherwise, they will be brought back in here uh, themselves. For everyone else, go ahead and open in your Bible uh, to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, is where we're going to be this morning. So, we have been going through a series uh, in the book of 1 Kings. And uh, we're taking a break from that today, um, and, uh, and for next week, um, and then I, we'll see about the following, I don't know, but uh, we're taking a break for today because um, I've had really just kind of some, some change in heart uh, coming to me recently. And so uh, in, many, in many ways, in many respects, a church, especially one that's established like Normandale, is uh, like a large ship. And that it is slow and steady and takes wide turns and, um, you know, takes time to, to move things in a given direction. Um, and, and many times, you, like, you need to follow that pattern as you're leading a church, especially in a new direction. Um, but this morning, I want to tell you to hold on because we're going to take a hard right as a church. Um, and so uh, I was, uh, you know, I'll just kind of fill you in on what's been going on. So... Uh, there's a text in Judges, chapter 16, and it's talking about a guy named Samson. And Samson was given a task by God, um, and, the, and, and one of the things that he was told was, hey, don't cut your hair. That's part of a special vow you've got with God. And if you cut it, then I'm going to leave. And so uh, eventually Samson disobeys God, and he, he, he tells his uh, wife, girlfriend, who was not that great, uh, the source of his strength, which was his hair. And so at night, she went and cut it off. And, and then she cried out and said, the Philistines are coming to get you. And he, and he woke up, and it says this in, in Judges 16, verse 20. She cried out. She said, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that's a really dangerous and scary verse. And so I've read this and I've heard this in the past, people talking about this, but I didn't really have eyes to see it. Um, but I do now. And so I've got a question for you. And it's if the Spirit of God left our church, how many of us in this room would actually know it? Or if the Spirit of God left our church, how many current ministries go taking place would be able to continue on as normal? And how many would cease immediately? And if I'm wondering, if I'm being honest, like I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how much would actually cease if the Spirit of God left. And, uh, and so I've, I've felt personally a growing uneasiness um, unsettledness about ministry, uh, about what it looks like, about what's happening. I've, it's really been for about the past year, year and a half. 
And uh, I'm not leaving. This is not that. It's not where the heading. That's heading. Uh, but I've, I've felt unsettled for the past year, year and a half, just unsure about what ministry looks like. Because I read Acts, I read the Gospels, and I see, man, ministry taking place in there does not look like what ministry looks like day in and day out for me here at Normandale. And I, I just see this, I, I see a, like a disconnect. And, and so like I don't, I don't see or I don't feel ministry looking anything like, like what's happening in the New Testament. And, and so, I, like, I don't see things, people responding, um, and I'm, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just kind of unsettled because of it. And so, I've, I've started to have questions and doubts, honestly, um, frustration, thinking, like, God, like, if you're, if you're there and, and you, according to Scripture, you want to see all people come to faith in Jesus— and you want to see marriages restored, and you want to see people kicking addictions, and you want to see lives transformed, then why don't we see this happening in front of us all the time? Like, why does it feel like this is, like, this is something that's not happening? Like, there's a reason why I don't invest a ton of time in response time after sermons, because I don't expect a lot of response outwardly. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm asking God, I'm like, why aren't we baptizing? Well, like this morning we baptized three people and I'm like praising God. It's a breath of fresh air. Um, you know how many people we baptized this year besides them? One. And I'm just, I'm unsettled with it. And, and so I'm asking God, like, why doesn't it seem like you're showing up more? And so eventually, you know, I ran through these doubts in my head, and I eventually resigned to the fact that this is just what things look like. This is just kind of the, 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 the nature of how things are. Like, God is, is there, but we just, man, you just have to trust it and, and then just press on. And so my job here at the church is simply to provide a weekly encouragement to call us to be faithful. And that's just the, my job. And that's what I kind of became resigned to. I wasn't planning on leaving or anything like that, but that's just kind of, it's kind of less than I was expecting. But, um, and like I knew the Spirit was present with us. Like I, I believed it intellectually, but I, I didn't feel it. I, don't, I haven't felt it. Like, like, man, the Spirit is present in this room with us. And so I'm telling you all that um, to get you, because, because I, I began to hear reports uh, all across the state from different churches, uh, from other pastors in the SBTC, uh, which is our state level convention, the Southern Baptists of Texas, um, where, where they, there are these different churches who are beginning to experience genuine revival taking place, a genuine awakening taking place among their, among their people, mir- legit verifiable miracles taking place. People being saved, hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ. Um, and all of this, and catch this, all of this, in these, this is not just one church. All of this has resulted in these many different churches from them being faithful and beginning a church-wide prayer service in which they are gathering together to seek the Spirit of God to move among them in ways that they could have never explained outside of the Spirit moving. Um, and and I'd, 
I've heard these pastors describe all these different things that are, that are happening among their churches. The, in like the aftermath of them kind of re-emphasizing prayer and bringing this about in their church. And they're like, I've heard them like say like, man, we have no idea how to explain what exactly is taking place in our church except for the fact that the Spirit of God is moving in ways like never before. One pastor said, man, we've had deacons served our church for 40 years. He's like, I don't know how this happens apart from the Spirit, but we've had deacon, a deacon who served our church 40 years come forward and get saved, and we baptized him recently. He's like, how does that happen in the heart of someone who's been involved in a church for his whole life? He's like, I can't explain the way that God is moving, but he is moving now. And, uh, and one church said, man, we've got doctor-verified miracles taking place. Um, we've got... Uh, we had a Christmas Eve service, the thing that many family members begrudgingly come to, where we had 100 people get saved at it. And he's like, I, again, this is not, like, it's not, a, this is not a church of 4,000 people or 6,000 people. Like, and, and, and so, like, they're, they're, they're talking about these things. And I, and I went to this meeting where I was hearing him talk, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like, you're able to put into words exactly what I've been feeling and exactly what I've been, like, like the answer for us. Because they were like, man, I, like, I was feeling dissatisfied. I was like feeling like the spirit wasn't present. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're able to finally put a fence around what I've been feeling for the past year and a half or so. And I just wasn't able to put it into words and to kind of figure out exactly what was going on. And they're like, no, this is what's going on. It's God preparing us for what he wanted to do in our churches through prayer. And so uh, I, I taught in, through the Gospel of Mark. And many of you remember about two years ago, I taught through the Gospel of Mark. And there was one passage um, that I skipped over at the time. I'm not exactly, I, I, I got to this t- passage and I was like, yeah, I'm skipping that one. I'll just go on to the next one. Because I didn't have eyes to see it at the time. Like I, I genuinely didn't. And that's the passage I want to look at right now. It's, it's Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. But before we do that, uh, we should probably pray about it. And so, Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word. And so we pray for um, fresh hearts and open eyes to see how you're moving and where you want us to go and how you want us to be people of prayer. And so I ask for you to, to help us to understand that to understand what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage in Mark. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 14 in Mark chapter 9 says, When they came to the disciples, that was Jesus and uh, Peter and James and John, the guys who went up, they went up on the mountain for Jesus' transfiguration. The other guys, the other disciples were left uh, down on, down on the, the kind of street level, and they were trying to do some ministry uh, while Jesus was gone, and, and, and Jesus showed back up, and they saw a large crowd around the other disciples. And they were disputed, the scribes were disputing with them, and when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him, that is Jesus. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, 
I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How how long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. And he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. And the boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. And after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And as I was walking through this gospel two years ago, I didn't have eyes to see what was going on here um, because I was like the disciples at the beginning. Because in many, in many ways, we're, we're hardwired to be people who, who do things. Say ministry stuff needs to be taking place, so I've got to do it. I've got to, I need to teach better. I need to evangelize better. I need to um, be more present. I need, and you start thinking of all these different good things. You're like, man, if I try this, what about, okay, okay, you got this problem. Well, let's write two lists. Let's write the list that you can control, the list you can't control. Like you start thinking of like all these different things to help people. And that's what the disciples are doing. They're like, man, we're trying to help this boy out. We're trying to cast this demon out. Like, we can't do it. They're trying all these things. And like, that's, that's literally me. That's literally most of many of us in this room. Like, we're like, okay, ministry thing. Well, how can I try to fix it? How can I step forward in fixing it? And, and then Jesus shows up and they're like, hey, man, they couldn't do it. They couldn't fix it on their own. And so we'll try you if you can do anything about this. And all of a sudden, Jesus responds, and he's like, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? Like, look who you're talking to. He said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible. And so every, this dude, this kid, had a life-dominating problem, a life-dominating issue. And for many of us in this room, you may be feeling the same thing. It may not be a spirit that throws you into convulsions, but it may be a really terrible marriage, a life-dominating marriage. You're, and you're like, man, this is not how I thought it would be. And my wife and I are at each other's throats nonstop. And this is just untenable. And, uh, and so, like, there's no hope for this. And so now we've tried the different things we can to try to make it work, but nothing's helping this. Or maybe you got an addiction, and you're like, man... This is a life-dominating issue in my life. I've tried to kick it. I've tried different methods. I've tried AA, and nothing is fixing this thing in my life. Maybe you've got a porn problem, and you're like, man, I hate it. I hate myself. 
every day. I look at it and this is driving me crazy. It's killing my marriage. And I just, I cannot get this out of my life. I cannot rid myself of this. It's a life dominating problem. And you're like, I've done everything to try to fix it, but I keep returning and I cannot get away from it. My question is this, that we're learning from this text is this, is Jesus said, what? You mean if I can fix it? Of course I can fix it. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And then what does he say at the end? They said, why couldn't we fix this? He said, this problem could only be fixed through prayer. And so my question for us as a church is this. How many lives have gone unchanged? How many marriages among us have gone in a really rocky direction, gone unchanged? How many people have gone unhealed? How many people have not gotten saved because we have neglected the teaching of Jesus here with regard to prayer? Because we didn't pray about it. We didn't turn to God and say, we need you to move in ways that only you can move. Jesus said this, this thing could not have been fixed any other method other than prayer. It's the only way this dominating sin, this dominating thing, sin wasn't sin for him, but this dominating thing was ever going to be fixed was through prayer. So how many things have continued on among us simply because we've neglected this teaching? And Jesus repeats this, teach this kind of stuff in Matthew 21. Jesus cursed a fig tree, and he doesn't really address the cursing of the fig tree here in Matthew his disciples were astounded by it. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, or 21, he says, truly I tell you, they're like, man, this is crazy. How did it die so quickly after you cursed it? And Jesus said this, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And the question is, do you believe it? Do I believe it? John 14, verse 12, it says, The one who believes will do the work that I do. Jesus is saying this. The one who believes will do the work that he does. He will do even greater works than these. What you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are clear, clear instructions, clear teachings from Jesus in the Gospels telling us what things should look like. How should we move forward as believers? And what he's saying is, is I've told you, turn in prayer. That's how I'm going to do things among you. That's how the Spirit of God is going to be present among you in your church. And so now the question for us is this. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Because this is the clear teaching from Jesus. And so, so now what we are going to do as a church is we are going to move into a new season of seeking him. Because what we want is we want the spirit of God to be present in here with us week in and week out. We want to see lives changed. We want to see salvations. We want to see baptisms. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see people healed. We want to see God at work among us visibly. That's what we desire. We want to seek him. We want him. 
And so that's what we're going to do as a church. And so Isaiah 56, Isaiah 56 talks about what God wants his temple, his house to be like. And Jesus picks this up in Matthew and quotes this verse, Isaiah 56, 7. He's talking about foreigners. And when he talks about foreigners, he means you and me, people who are not Jewish. And he said, foreigners are going to come. And if they come to me in humility, become one of my people. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and, I, and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the question is, is our church considered a house of prayer? And I don't think it is. But moving forward for us as a church, that's what we're seeking. That's what we're seeking. And so, there's a couple actions, things that we're going to do as a church moving forward. So beginning December 1st, all adult activities on Wednesday night are, are canceled. Um, there we've, I've talked to the life group leaders um, of those nights. We're transitioning those life groups to be uh, at a different time uh, to figure something else out. And so most of those are going to go to Sunday morning. Um, but Wednesday night uh, is, is going to be a church-wide prayer service. That's what we're going to do moving forward. Um, and so uh, starting December 1st at 6.30, we will be in here as a church body holding a prayer, so our first prayer service um, of many to come. It's, not, it's, it's for the foreseeable future. It is not for a four-week trial period um, because God commands us to do this. And so we're going to move forward and we're going to do this. And, uh, and so starting Wednesday nights, that's what we're going to be doing in here. We don't want anything. The reason we're canceling life groups on that night is because we don't want anything to compete with this. Um, this is going to be important. If we want to see the Spirit of God move in ways like never before in our church, we're going to clear the schedule for him and seek him in ways like never before. And so, uh, so that's what Wednesday nights are going to look like. And the purpose of it is to commune with the heart of God. We want to turn to him and ask him to work in our church in ways that can only be explained by his power. Um, there's a prayer, there is legit a prayer movement happening across the state. And uh, over the past year, um, it's, it's been, I've seen rumblings of it, like I said earlier, and I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us as a church to miss what God is doing uh, because we uh, want to continue to be comfortable or, or do what we're doing. And we don't want to mess things up. Um, and so I'm willing to take shots on this. That's okay. Um, but this is, this is how we're going to move forward. Uh, so previously we had tried to add a prayer service in on like Sunday nights. We did it about three of them this past year. Um, kind of in a half-hearted attempt to, to make it happen. Uh, but we're not doing that any longer. Um, we're clearing the schedule for God. And, uh, and the second thing we're going to do is every Tuesday leading up to December 1st, uh, we are going to, f the elders are, and we invite you to do it along with us, uh, we're going to fast and pray on those days. Tuesdays, every Tuesday leading up to December 1st. And, uh, and what that means is we are going to, and it's the, we're not, like, we're not, it's not legalistic. You decide how many meals and what meal you skip. 
Um, but what it is, is we are going to not eat for, for all or one meal on Tuesday. And in the time that we would have been eating, what we're going to do is we're going to seek the Spirit of God uh, to commune with Him, to ask Him to work in our church in ways like never before. Um, and so uh, as you get hungry later on in that day, those hunger pains are, are meant to remind you of why you're fasting, and that is to seek the Lord. And, uh, and so that's how we're going to do things moving forward. Now, for the rest of our time this morning, I want to uh, move us into a prayer meeting. I'm going to move us into a prayer meeting right now. And now if you're in here and you're nervous about that, don't be. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud or lead anyone else in prayer. I'm going to be up here the entire time leading you, walking you through this prayer time. And this is a, a mini version of what prayer, the prayer meetings are going to look like on Wednesday nights. Um, and so... Let's prepare to meet with God. Most of them are going to take three phases. Today, we're only going to do the first one. Um, but the phase one is going to be preparing to meet with God. Phase two is going to be praying for things that are on God's heart and mind. And phase three is going to be praying for things that are on our hearts and mind. Um, but today, we're just going to do the first one as we are preparing for this new season in our church. Um, and so, uh, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Take a breath, because James 5.16 says that the prayers of righteous are very powerful in its effect. And so what we as people who are sinful need to do is put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ as we approach a holy God. And so as we pray, we are now coming before a holy God. In Isaiah 6, uh, there's a vision of, of, of God. Isaiah sees God, and he, he sees these angels crying out, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And so as you turn to God now, tell him that he's holy. And that he is worthy to be praised. And that he is highly exalted. I want you to think of three reasons um, why he should be praised, why he is highly exalted, and not three reasons of things that he's done for you, um, and I was listening to, I didn't come up with all this prayer stuff, Nathan Leno did, but, um, but he said this, even if God has done nothing for you, he is still eternally worthy to be praised. And so think of three specific reasons why and tell him. And so as we come before this holy God, 
the next command of Scripture is to humble ourselves before him, to humble ourselves before Christ. Isaiah 5, 6, 5 says, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. And so now in your heart, before him, bow to him. And tell him he is the Lord of lords, the king over all kings. And that he is the master over all, including every area of your life. Tell him that. And tell him of his righteousness, his perfect nature. And so next, as we are in the presence of a holy God, I want you to stop and think of any and every sin in your life, no matter how small, and acknowledge how you fall short of his perfection, his glory. Now, you don't live up to his standard. James 5:16 says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect next confess these sins to him be specific and apologize to him Admit your rebellion against his authority and repent of your sin. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. Now tell him, give him back the authority over your life. As we're considering our sinfulness before him. Romans 5, 6 is while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so first admit to him that you were or are one of the ungodly.
But next stop and remember that while you were helpless, Jesus died for you. And so praise him for that. Romans 5, 9 says, How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Jesus saved sinners from the penalty reserved for them, which was the wrath of God, by giving up his own blood in our place through his death on the cross. Stop and wonder about that to him. Praise him, thank him, and be specific in your thanks. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, All who believe in Christ were then reconciled to God. And that's you if you believe in Jesus. So praise God that he has brought you back into his arms, into his family. So tell him you love him. Tell him of your desire to follow him for the rest of your life. Luke 9, 62 says, But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you surrender to Jesus, he becomes the Lord of your life, and that means every area of your life, nothing is kept and nothing is hidden from him. He demands to be Lord, and so now return to him his authority over your life. Tell him that he is Lord. He is your master. Tell him of your willingness to follow him and his commands and his leading. And tell him it's not to get something from him, to get him to watch over you, but because he is worthy. So next, there are some in this room who have um, been in church a long time in the Bible Belt, and it's kind of the cultural thing to do. Um, But there's a decision that actually has to be made in order to follow Jesus. And so the question is, uh, in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, have you personally made the decision that, yes, Jesus died for me, and now I'm going to live my life in serving him for the rest of my days? 
And so the question is, have you made that decision? Is there a point in your life when you said, this is what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow him. Not to walk an aisle and pray a prayer and gain Jesus to bless you or to bless your family or to watch over you, but in submission to him and his authority as Lord in response to his death and resurrection for you. Luke 9 Verse 23 and 24 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Have you submitted your life to him in humility? Acknowledging your need for him in awe of his glory, in order to follow him for the rest of your life. And if you haven't, do it now. Because this is urgent, and that you could die leaving this parking lot today. And Scripture is clear that if you haven't or will not submit to Christ, you are separated from him. You are not reconciled to God. You do not live with God's peace. You are not one of God's people. And when you die, you will live eternally apart from his grace and apart from his love and goodness in hell. And so the command for you is to turn to him in humility. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross in your place. And if that's you, Right now, tell him of your newfound trust in him. Tell him of your new submission to him as the master, the Lord of your life. Praise him for dying on the cross in your place. And claim the forgiveness that you have in him. And if that's you this morning, um, uh, there's going to be a time for you to get to respond and share that uh, with, with one of us. Um, and I'll give instructions on that here in a minute. But, but we're going to pray and then we're going to move on to a brief section two. And so, Father, we come before you, and we thank you. We come humble before you because you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so I, we submit ourselves to you and to what you want to do among us in our church and our lives. And so we repent of the areas in which we've sinned, which we rebelled against you. And so we thank you for Jesus and the cross and his resurrection, and how that accomplishes for us a righteousness that where we can stand before you in ways that we never could before. His death reconciled us to you so that we have you as our Father. We have been made your people, and we can live with your peace. And so we put on the righteousness of Jesus as we come before you in this new season in our church. 
And so the second thing is this, is I want you to pray for our church moving forward. And so number one is pray for godly passion among us as we move forward in this new season of prayer. Pray that we would seek his heart. That we would seek the spirit of God. Pray for a fresh movement of the Spirit among us. That we would see people come to faith in Christ through our evangelism. See them come, become reconciled to God. Pray that we would see lives restored. Pray that we would see miracles take place, not because we think it'd be a cool show, but because we want to see the Spirit change lives. And pray for the power of Jesus Christ to move in among us in ways that can only be explained through Him. And then pray for our church to be unified as we move forward. And so, Father, we, um, we do pray for these things. We pray for passion among our members, that we would catch this vision, catch this this new area in which you are leading us to come to be people of prayer, to characterize our church as a house of prayer. Because we want to seek you. We want to know you. We want to see your glory at work. We want to see the power of the gospel change lives. And so I pray for us as a church body that we would be willing to submit to you and where you're leading us. And we pray for unity as we are doing this. And so we, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so if you're here this morning, and for the first time, you have chosen to submit your life to follow Jesus Christ, first, praise God. And so if you're an elder in here, would you stand up? Got one, two. Got David back there. Got Adam, Brent. Got me up in this front. Um, we're gonna have the band come up, and uh, and while the band plays, if you gave your life to follow Jesus for the first time, what I want you to do is I want you to go find one of these guys or come to me. I'm gonna be on the front over here. I want you to go to him and say, Hey, listen, I gave my life to follow Jesus. And I want to, I want to, I want to pray. I want to figure out what things look like moving forward.
Um, and so as the band plays, you respond. <laughs>